look at um, education loan similarly as a retail loan. You cannot look at them as uh, somebody taking a personal loan and you know looking to repay that personal loan out of uh, the current balance sheet strength of that individual, uh, if I may say so, uh, of that individual or probably of the family. Uh, you have to look at not just the current balance sheet, but you have to sort of look at what that balance sheet is going to become uh, after they take after they do their education. You have to take take that um, you know uh, take that future ROI into account. Hey Victor, thanks for agreeing to do this. Look forward to the chat. Everyone, hi. Uh, thanks for having me. Hi, Mazu. Uh, so let's start with our intro question. Uh, what's one truth that you believe in, which very few people agree with you on? So I think for us, it's a uh, you know very uh, simple premise. Um, when we started uh, Propelled. Um, you know, we realize that um, because of high NPAs, uh, the 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 majority of the lending ecosystem looks at lending into the education segment quite negatively. There's a there's a skeptical uh, lens into lending into the education segment. Um, when we uh, when we started looking into it, we realized that probably the lens is a little wrong. Uh, you cannot look at um, education loan similarly as a retail loan you cannot look at them as uh, somebody taking a personal loan and you know looking to repay that personal loan out of uh, the current balance sheet strength of that individual uh, if i may say so uh, of that individual or probably of the family uh, you have to look at not just the current balance sheet but you have to sort of look at what that balance sheet is going to become uh, after they take after they do their education you have to take take that um you know uh, take that future roi into account you have to take that you know when a when a student is getting into an educational degree uh, there is an expectation of an roi out of it that roi might be tangible it might be intangible it might um, sort of accrue to that person in the student in 6 months one year or it could take some time but that has to be sort of taken into account if you want to look at education uh, uh, lending into education per se uh, that's something we believe that's that's been our core thesis and uh, we feel that that's played out really well as well uh, during covid times we have had very low npas uh, you know our uh, npa numbers are nowhere close to what the sort of like the public sector banks sort of quote uh, with respect to their education lending npa numbers so uh, that's that's a truth we feel has worked out uh, really well for us and and that's what we feel as well. i understand uh can you talk us through uh, early days for yourself? Um, any inspirations for starting up? Um, what were your early career decisions? How did you end up here? There were obviously a few startups that you tried uh, before Propel. Uh, if you can talk through that journey. So, uh, Avril, it was um, um, after my engineering, I went on to do an MBA. Um, it was more of... Um, you know, running away to do an MBA in sort of like a fashion of joining a rat race uh, instead of a really, I would say, a thought out decision. I, I'm, I'm guessing uh, most of my decisions uh, have been in that way. And I'm not sort of ashamed of saying it. Uh, after an MBA, again, I think, you know, it was a rat race of trying to uh, get to the uh, best placement that was offered in the campus instead of sort of looking inwards to figure out what exactly I wanted to do. 
um but you know i think after getting into a job when is is when uh, that realization started dawning uh, that um, uh, you know probably i am not uh, utilizing the creative potential that i had in my job uh, and that's where i started looking out for uh, which could be potential avenues where i could sort of be utilizing myself uh, sort of getting a much more intellectually stimulating experience as well um and that's when you know me and my co-founder brijesh we used to spend a lot of evenings just chatting around what should we we do and you know we started a bunch of side hustles uh, i would say um i met a gentleman uh, called mr uh, uh, farid ehsan uh, he's the founder of sharechat uh, interestingly he was uh, my intern at deutsche bank where i was working uh, and that guy uh, farid's um, world view really sort of uh, blew me away uh, at a point where you know all we were trying to do was to impress our bosses uh, at an internship uh, uh, you know sort of presentation meeting he used to present his startup idea instead of what he was working at at the bank and sort of look for a look for getting an angel round and i used to be um, you know i used to be a mentor and i used to be sort of astounded by the guts of this guy um, and you know as we know we know how his career has sort of planned out Uh, panned out you know he did a bunch of startups as well so i think that was one moment for me that was that was that pushing point where i felt that uh, you know a lot of after a lot of discussions with farid as well where i felt that you know this is something that i could do and uh, yes i quickly took a plunge it was it was sort of taking a plunge more than taking a you know sort of evaluating i see a lot of entrepreneurs evaluating four five ideas and you know looking to see what they can do and build a comfort zone and drop there as in my thesis always was uh, i am going to uh, put myself into a uh, uh, you know not so comfort zone uh, and you know i'm i'm going to look to swim from there and that's what i did the early startups of course didn't work out i did about uh, three startups before i did propel and of course there were stepping stones in each one of them there were a lot of learning milestones that we got um the first startup that i did you know we we realized how to sort of get some amount of revenue and you know things didn't work out there for various reasons as well you know uh, but then you know the second startup that i did uh, of pristine uh, of uh, stock up in the hyperlocal grocery space uh, that was out of mumbai uh, in at at stock up we realized that you know i i got we got that confidence me and rajesh rajesh had also joined me we got that confidence that we could actually scale a business uh, without a lot of investment that you know we are probably great at uh scaling something without having lot of money and actually competing with larger players as well uh but that's when we learned the importance of something called unit economics that while we are scaling and you know in a hyper local grocery business when we do do not have the unit economics working for us uh we really need very large amounts of funding otherwise the business does not really make sense uh that was a very difficult decision to close down uh, uh you know stock up the hyper local which time frame what year uh, was this Did so you... i uh, i um, quit my job in 2014 2014 to 15 i did uh, an edtech uh, where we were teaching kids about astronomy it was a company called astroworks uh, it didn't work out for various reasons uh, from 15 to 16 uh, we did uh, stock up which was that hyper local grocery company that's where brijesh my co-founder had also quit his job to uh, you know sort of work with me brijesh is currently my co-founder at uh, propelled as well so it was our journey um you know we had um, just to give you a sense we were working out of uh, pawai and chandivali uh, 
we were operating about out of Hawaii and Chandivali. Uh, we were doing about, we were not funded. We were doing about 50 orders in a day. And we were competing with the likes of Grofers and the rest at that point of time. That was like the, you know, heights of, uh, uh, you know, the hyper local boom. Uh, so, you know, uh, I have delivered, uh, you know, a lot of those orders were delivered by, uh, you know, by me as well. At uh, You know, I remember an incident where, you know, I was soaking wet and I went with a bag of grocery in front of a, a woman's house and, you know, we were doing about 50 orders. And that's when I realized that, you know, we are losing out about 300, 400 rupees per order. I'm soaking it wet. What the hell am I doing in my life? <laughs> uh, we came back. We had a difficult chat. Uh, we spent some time at uh, Sunny's in front of IIT Bombay. Uh, and then, um, you know, we thought that, you know, uh, we have to get our, you know, we have to do something which is, uh, which makes a lot more unit economic sense. Uh, to do that. One, uh, you know, we started stock, uh, Pristine Cut, which was a customized apparel brand. Uh, and we moved to Delhi. We needed a change of environment as well. We were a little tired and, you know, we wanted to sort of... Um, and Bipu, our third co-founder at Propel, he was at, uh, uh, you know, Delhi. Um, all three of us are school friends. We have been very close all through the journey. And, you know, Bipu being at Delhi meant that he would take care of all of our expenses um, so when we moved to Delhi and we started Pristine Cut, uh, we used to uh, stay at his couch and, you know, all of our food, all of our eating out, everything used to be spent yes. by him. Sorry, Mazen. No, no, no. I, I mean, that's, that's fascinating. So two startups, two years. Now, now you moved to Delhi for this third one. Explain the thought process to us. Like, what are you yes. thinking at this point? I mean, I'm sure the thought must have crossed your mind. Can I go back and like, do this corporate thing again? Do I need to make money or, or no, not at all? Absolutely, absolutely, Mazan. As in, I think the the moment when we closed out that hyperlocal grocery startup, uh, for me, there was two years down, right? And, you know, I've, I've yeah. seen a bunch of, on social media, you see a lot of friends uh, who are doing investment banking, doing really well, taking Euro trips. And, right, you know, right. you're just here uh, staying at a friend's place. And, you know, it's, it's really difficult mentally. And, um, uh, you know, it, it feels like, you know, nobody's with you. And that was probably the most difficult period of time for us. And that's where Bibu helped a lot. Uh, you know, that change of environment going to Delhi, uh, that environment was really different. As in, that there were a lot of friends at Delhi. And, you know, there was a lot of supporting structure there. Um, and and yes, the the we had thoughts of going back to corporate. But, you know, we also had that confidence. We had built that confidence that we could scale a certain business. Uh, so with that confidence, when we moved to Delhi, our whole thought was let's build something where we can see money. Uh, within one year of moving to Delhi, when we started Pristine Cut, we actually hit the ground running and we did about, uh, you wouldn't believe it, but we did about 60 lakh worth of revenues in about, you know, six, eight months uh, of moving to Delhi in uh, Pristine Cut. And, you know, 50% of that were probably profits. Uh, so that was a very wild journey. But a shift in the way that you thought about businesses right i mean you're thinking about a business from the start now not just getting people to use a product ultimately absolutely yes you're right as in we we probably overcompensated towards uh you know something which makes us a lot more money instead of thinking of it from a product point of view and uh that was the intent as in we the the there was a conscious decision from our end that you know we're, uh, right now our objective is to give us some uh, uh you know uh, runway give ourselves personally some runway so that you know we have that uh, mental bandwidth to start thinking about 
you know what next uh, so uh, you know pristine cut was uh, uh, that was that, that journey was really great uh, but then what happened at propelled was bibhu had that idea because you know we were in that environment where uh, uh, you know although bibhu was in a corporate job he was bound to be influenced by this sort of like the startup energy bit that you know me and brijesh had in the house so he started he had this idea about uh, propelled although the idea was quite different uh, it was about education funding but you know it was about the milton friedman paper it was about uh, building an equity linked sort of product into a uh, you know for a students education um, and to help bibhu out because he was in a corporate job he didn't have the bandwidth we started off uh, uh, me and vijesh we started off the idea of propelled with just helping out bibhu nothing else uh and and we used to uh make introductions to uh between bibhu and let's say other banks and you know sort of go with him to see how the response would be uh in in that process uh, what happened was we started slowly moving into the idea of propelled uh, as compared to pristine cut uh and you know there was an accelerator program that was starting in uh, india it was it was a accelerator called a startup bootcamp uh, fintech accelerator they were quite well known in europe uh they you know asked for applications we applied they asked us to come to mumbai uh, we met you know dozens of bankers like very senior bankers we had never met such sort of senior guys everybody seemed very positive about this idea and the finally at the end of that you know workshop uh, the accelerator asked uh, us to pursue this idea and they would give us very small some you know 10 15 lakhs worth of uh, uh, you know act, uh, sort of uh it uh what do you call that funds and uh take a minimal equity and help us out in uh, uh you know uh, in building out uh the product of propelled um so that's when that's what got us thinking um you know we we all three of us sat down we sort of mutually decided that um you know we should ideally be pursuing propelled uh, although pristine cut was close to heart uh but we always felt that you know we had some somewhere along that line because we had gone through that stock of phase astrowigs and stock of phase which didn't work work out really well uh at pristine cut we were sort of overcompensating on you know making money and unit economics but that that was not the real intent from the very beginning the real intent was to build a very large scalable business which can you know actually impact a lot of people as well and which is which does not exist currently in the market uh, a company like a pristine cut you know we could have done it with far lesser bandwidth than needing our 100% of that uh, and bibu also felt that you know if both of us me and vijesh can also come in he would feel a lot more comfortable leaving his job and you know all three of us could sort of pursue that together that's how we you know took that jump um, you know we also decided that we can't be doing this propelled and doing pristine cut think of it as sort of like a cash cash cow we were against that idea uh, because you know when things go bad uh the belief was that when things go back if you have a safety net you'll try to sort of move towards that safety net it's just human uh, psyche you can't help it uh so again you know uh, wantonly we wanted to make ourselves uncomfortable and you know we went into propelled together closed down pristine cut uh went to propelled we book with his job and that's how we sort of started no 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 helpful can you explain the concept though uh, it's it's a fascinating concept that we've seen in um in play possibly in sports in some sense like securitizing the earnings of a person but uh, can you talk about what this was conceptually and how you were uh, thinking of it so um 
we're not pursuing that now it's it's one of our ideas we want to do that in the future i know i know i mean uh, um, then so so the core tenet of uh, the paper uh, from milton friedman i can sort of send that to you after our call is was that um, uh, education is not a private investment uh, it should be a public investment uh, you know makes sense because uh, when somebody gets educated uh, it's it's not that not just that that particular guy actually benefits out of it the entire society there's a lot more indirect correlation with the society as a whole and how that society gets sort of uplifted uh, and the best way of sort of uh, looking at education and and the best way to make sure that you know the public uh, the students the investor and the institutes are uh, on the same page uh, and everybody has skin in the game with respect to quality education and actually getting roi out of it is to be able to link them through an equity link product uh, uh, and you know if somebody does not if let's say think of the case of a student who does not get a value out of a course he should not be paying back uh, uh, to the society or to the investor uh, because he did not get a value out of the course whereas somebody got an exponential value they should be paying back exponentially a uh, difficult concept to sort of um, uh, practically build out uh, a lot of people had tried it in the us as well uh, in the states um, there was a, uh, uh, a a very famous example is uh, in the purdue university called a backup boiler program uh, which didn't really work out there are you know nuances to it uh, negative uh, uh, the the elements of negative selection are one major challenge to it and the the overall concept of uh, you know having equity in a human being per se uh, these are major challenges the regulatory hurdles are immense as well because you know lending is a highly regulated environment uh, what we realized during the course of pursuing this product though is that uh, this is too high funda but you know even from a traditional sense as well even you know just a normal education loan plain vanilla education loan debt financing product um for a majority of people who really want to pursue education is also not uh, uh, easily available the the penetration levels of education loan in india are hardly about you know 2 to 3% level uh, the majority of penetration is concentrated at your top 100 uh, engineering or your top 100 mba colleges but that's about it uh, apart from that education is not just that uh, you have more than you know uh, a crore of students Uh, uh you know who take a higher education degree right as in it could be anything from a ba bcom bba btech you know your engineering and mba are hardly about 10 lakh of that about 10% and then you have your schools and then you have your coaching centers you know people preparing for coaching you have people preparing for an iti skill courses being a nurse there are they, they that's massive but you know we are only focusing on a very small part of it uh what we also realize is that uh, uh you know the the debt uh, form of uh, investment you know you can look at uh, lending and investment are two sides of the same coin right as right as an uh, you can look at debt side of investment when the cash flows are sort of uh, uh, you know you the are quite regular as in you can uh, fairly predictably uh, fairly predict the cash flows of an individual uh, where it works where the equity product will work really well is when uh the prediction of the cash flows is volatile uh, as you mentioned sports uh, it's a it's a fairly well known concept in uh, basketball in the us or let's say in uh, soccer in uh, uh, south american countries 
uh, where you know people take equity because the expectation of cash flows are very volatile so we still sort of figuring out where it can fit well and that's a dream of us wanting to build those sort of products as well but that was a starting point uh, starting thought for us and just to build on that starting thought what were some of the inefficiencies that you saw in the existing banking system that you know made it impossible for them to kind of penetrate beyond these top colleges uh look um, there are you know of course um, the the way i my personal opinion on this is uh there are uh, two major inefficiencies that i look at one is uh you know ticket sizes uh, now of course uh the you know when you are looking at education in, in itself right is more than just your higher education degree higher education degree is the most expensive or maybe going abroad to study uh, that's again a part of higher education but that's a slightly different market but education is a lot more than that there are a lot more students uh, who are taking your you know who are going into a school or who are doing coaching or who are doing a, a, a sort of like a you know there or who are doing an iti course or a skilling course that's that's bharat uh and you know if you want to impact a lot more people you have to be able to sort of service smaller ticket size loans uh and that does not re- make unit economic sense from a brick and mortar structure versus a sort of like a fully digital sort of like a setup that's one right. and secondly the the idea of risk and the idea of uh risk assessment uh what's a risk uh, uh you know how do you sort of imp- how do you sort of look at risk and how do you sort of assess risk i i think i pointed uh, to that a little bit um, earlier as well uh, you cannot look at you know you have to be a lot more sector focused you have to be a lot more nuanced you cannot look at the the um, you know balance sheet strength uh, or the capacity of the father or the student yeah. uh, and that's it you have to look at uh, the student's capability you have to look at what course he is going into and you have to look at you have to sort of make a correlation and try to figure out what benefits you could potentially get into it uh, and you have to you know and the the one of the key parts which uh, one of the key parts of the puzzle which moves into this is that 90% of india is actually not highly underwritable you cannot really assess their income uh, from just you know traditional documentations you know hardly 10% of india is salaried and rest of 80 90% of india is self employed and at self at a self employed individual level lot of people get you know cash salaries you don't really transact in bank accounts yeah. there you know it the it's it's not very clear with respect to documentation so you have to you have to rely on a lot more alternate parameters education related parameters motivation related parameters to be able to sort of assess them that's second uh the third piece that i would want to speak about is that look i i feel these are inefficiencies but you know if there is a focused player it's not like these inefficiencies cannot be sort of solved for uh and it makes sense for a bank to not focus on this particular segment because it's just a question of um you know if they have the lowest cost of funds what's their uh, from a bank's point of view what is their advantage and what is their uh, best product that they can give out right and you know the the um if they have five products to choose from uh they can you know if there are two three products which are much better for them they would ideally want to focus on that it's as simple as that being a bank and being you know having access to casa accounts at a you know 5% sort of 6% sort of level max right mm-hmm. you your core capability is about uh uh you know uh, drawing being able to have access to very large amounts of money cost of funds your core capability is not tech your core capability is not risk assessment at that piece so when you have that 
it's for you your your for your deployment it just absolutely makes sense that you look out for those segments where there is a very high market with low risk right and for you know as a bank the first biggest segment is of course home loan there right everybody wants a home it's a absolutely huge market there are higher ticket sizes it's a secured product uh, the risks are as low as it could get uh, and then your sme loans uh, and you know loans to your hni those are of course your products that you focus on why would you want to focus on this as well so no that's broadly what yes. we bring to the table and so how do you guys yeah. do, think about that assessment can you walk us through what you guys do um, conceptually and and how do you evaluate that you know uh, i mean because it's two things right like you said it's evaluating the particular program and the opportunities the person has but also looking at that individual and you know how credit worthy they are when they don't have maybe you know documents you can rely on so my son uh, it's not a there's there's no single what we have realized is there's no single silver bullet in this uh, there are two three ways in which we sort of look at this one is um in terms of as we said in terms of risk assessment uh, we do not look at risk assessing just at individual it's yes. about risk assessing a project okay uh, the meaning of a project is that student that particular student with his particular parents sort of balance sheet and that particular student with his particular academic degree taking a course at that particular institute uh, yeah and that that is the entire project in itself that's how we risk assess uh, the other way in which we sort of um, work around the risk structure uh, is not through assessment is through financial structuring okay. so what we do is uh, if let's say the you know if let's say the risk is as an in 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 sort of like if i have to sort of uh, do it in a much more simplistic term if let's say the risk is this much or risk okay. is 100 units yeah. uh, for us right okay. is there any financial structure which can make that risk 50 for us 50 units uh, let that unit be anything right so mm -hmm. for that let's say if an institute within that particular project if that institute is willing to take part in some part of the risk through okay. a financial structuring right that makes our you know all the, with the similar risk assessment with a smaller risk although the overall gross risk of the project is high the net risk for us as propelled or as our lenders becomes smaller that allows us to be able to get the lending access to a lot more individuals as an example a way in which an institute can sort of partake in that risk is by saying that hey you know what i am going to guarantee placements if i do not guarantee placements i will make sure your money is back or let's say the institute saying that i will support you uh, 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 you know with let's say some amount of defaults we split those defaults in some way uh, yeah. the the you know they uh, support us financially from that point of view so that's how we sort of look at this that's fascinating i mean that's almost like that's your unfair advantage right that's the way that you lower your risk and and you get um you get the unit economics makes sense when when banks cannot do it um yeah and no no love love that example it's not a very new idea though uh, you know we are just applying it now um, but you know the entire uh, uh, project financing construct um, uh, you know is built on this uh, when you know you're looking at financing let's say a hydroelectric project or let's say a uh, uh, what do you call that Uh, uh you know a road project or anything like that it's you're not just assessing the developer's balance sheet strength you're also assessing you know the entire project as a whole what it can sort of contribute uh what we have just done is just use that approach in a retail sort of a way 
uh, and you know of course the core thing remains that it can only be done in a particular segment which is roi generating and we believe education is that and any uh, uh, framework you use to isolate education i know it was an idea that the three of you kind of stumbled on um how did you like build conviction that this is the category where financing will be required the most uh, amongst all the other opportunities that you had and if you can talk about the product in some sense so how how does it work how do you acquire customers uh, how do you solve the supply side which is the financing but um i would love to understand that hey, sure avarant so for us to um, build conviction in education was actually very easy um so inherently uh, you know all three of us all of our families uh, we've been like big believers in education we come from a tier 2 city in india uh, you would uh, you know both of you guys would sort of correlate with how much education is sort of like a focus in indian families uh, i can say that uh, for at least my family and you know my co-founders family it was actually uh, the focus was a lot more extreme with respect to education just to give you a few examples uh i think for my you know for our families uh, i think education was the first expense and then would be an expense on taking a trip or taking buying new clothes or you know getting out to a restaurant uh so it was easy to build conviction uh, you know our our um, uh, what do you call that uh, when bibhu brought in the idea of propelled uh, by being sort of um, uh, by having read that uh, paper of uh, milton friedman that was also around education uh and we have inherently believed that sort of like uh if you can sort of solve for education you can sort of solve for the larger problems in that in not just your country in your society as a whole if you have uh you know energy as a problem uh you can solve for if you have you know a lot more educated passionate people actually working on it uh, so that's sort of like a base line uh problem uh and yes when we did a lot more research as i said when we met a lot of uh, those very senior folks at a bank when we did a lot of pitches when we realized what banks do their workings and all of that that's when and of course a lot of primary research as well that's when we started realizing that um you know it's it's not a segment which has been focused on very deeply and it's a segment which is a sort of like a green space and you know there there needs to be very new thinking in this there needs to be differentiated products in this uh that's when we sort of got in and you know that conviction has sort of strengthened over the years as well when we started doing that and if you can talk about the product set um as well like we were uh, earlier alluding to uh, what do you sell to a customer how do you uh, syndicate the capital required and possibly related to this how do you do better than banks which also provide educational financing so think of our product as a two sided marketplace uh, you know i i wouldn't i think a marketplace is probably a wrong term it's more like a managed sort of like a managed pipeline of sorts um at one side uh, our idea is to uh, uh you know help to help institutes uh, improve their access uh, to students so our financing products are are built as sort of like a modular tool uh, and you know they help the institute sort of uh, uh you know put out their product a lot more with potential students um so let's say uh an institute called a uh, mentors uh, academy uh, it's a institute out of uh, patna they cater to a lot of students coming out of bihar and you know uh, up uh, for itj coaching 
these are people these are think of these guys as probably the second tier the first tier people always go to uh, something like an allen at kota allen or akash at kota the second tier people would go to something like a, a, a you know mentors uh now for them you know a lot of people they are coming in they would have questions about financing it's going to be difficult for them uh you know they do so what we spoke about from a banking point of view from a public sector sector point of view uh is just the formal financing model the informal financing model it's it's that's not the only financing model that's present in the country your informal financing is a lot more rooted and it's you know people do use that when somebody has to come to uh, uh, you know patna to uh get his student or his son or his daughter enrolled at a mentors uh, it's not just a tuition fee it's also about a living expenses for couple of years it's a it's it's an expensive affair uh you wouldn't and and it's getting more expensive year on year uh if you remember uh, during the times that uh if i remember correctly during the time that i went to iit uh my fees was 30000 per semester tuition fees were 30000 per semester i believe it's been at least you know tripled or quadrupled uh, over the last 10 years um uh, you know a student going to a kota the expense uh, you know when i went to kota for my coaching i think it was about 60000 per year uh, right now it has probably almost tripled so it's getting a lot more expensive year on year now these guys uh, the farmers that are coming in the the self employed individuals uh, that are coming in from those areas right if if they have to get there they'll have to either resort to getting a gold loan parking their gold or you know selling off something or selling off a cattle and we have seen that first hand as well or resorting to taking money from the informal segment which is at very very high interest rates uh if uh, and here the institute actually supports because let's say the it's in the institute's benefit as well to make sure that these students uh, are getting access if the students are able to get that same loan in a much more easier fashion uh in with very uh, uh you know in a very seamless process without a lot of hassle uh and you know uh, uh at very minimal cost or at a zero cost because the institute is sort of uh, uh subsidizing the rate of the loan because it's in their benefit as well uh they end up doing a lot more business it's a win win for everybody so the the core idea is about making sure that all the parties of the ecosystem are aligned towards a, on on the same level and yes i'm i'm uh, let me let me come to the product uh, uh, i digressed a little bit let me come to the product a little uh, more uh, overall so the idea is to build tools which the institute can use uh, to help their students get access so the students would come in the the institute guys or let's say the institute counselors would help the students go through a seamless loan journey uh, there is going to be an application flow uh, and then you know there is going to be uh, the underwriting model is our, the underwriting model takes care of that underwriting uh, and then we have uh, a bunch of lenders on our other side uh, where we have you know agreed sort of underwriting models and uh, the the loan model goes and you know we make sure we facilitate that uh, the movement of that loan uh, journey through to our lending partners as well and then you know the money sort of gets released and then the entire loan servicing part which is about after the student gets a loan then the emi is the money coming in that's again facilitated by us but you know finally the money goes to the lenders directly so it's sort of like a bunch of lenders at one side it's like a bunch of institutes at the other side having an access of bunch of lenders also allows us 
as a as sort of like a uh, you know platform to bring in access of a lot of capital that's one of the core uh, uh, you know ways in which we can sort of win that ecosystem as well uh, if you have very limited access to capital you won't be able to sort of uh, uh, actually build your access with the students as well so uh, that's how that product is built that's interesting i mean it's so you're not competing with banks at all you're actually more working with them and it's more a complementary product so I was curious about metrics that you're looking at. Like, what kind of metrics are you tracking from a product perspective? How do you measure success? Uh, since you have, you know, different participants and it's a lot of different things to optimize for, right? How, what, what are your KPIs? Do you mean, uh, Mazan, do you mean metrics from a customer success point of view? Do you mean metrics from an, uh, you know, org point of view, org PNL point of view? If you can yeah, just like clarify the org, org point of view, like, like, what are your product metrics? How do you... How do you internally know that your product is doing well, right? Like, I think with a lot of consumer products, it's straightforward. You look at engagement, daily active users, things like that. For a product like yours, it's it's obviously more, much more nuanced. So curious how, how you guys measure success. So, Mazan, uh, uh, you know, from a, uh, from a product point of view, uh, you know, of course, uh, one of the most key metrics, uh, metrics is uh, our underwriting capability. Are we able to sort of underwrite, you know, what's our, what's our approval rate at a particular institute? Uh, or, and what's our rejection rate? Uh, and given our sort of approval rate, we look at like true positives, false positives, the entire metrics of that. Uh, how many guys have we been able to sort of, uh, you know, look at alternate data and been able to take a decision which has turned out really well, which has turned uh, and the ones that have turned out wrong, and how do we sort of uh, keep working on that sort of product? Uh, the other piece for us is how seamless is that journey? Uh, what's the tat behind the product? Uh, and you know, what sort of the other third key metric uh, for us is about penetration levels uh, at an institute. That for us is how uh, uh, is a is a reflection of how uh, useful do institutes find our product. If we are let's say at a five percent sort of like a penetration rate at an institute, we understand that you know we are not being terribly important to the institute. We do go back to the institute and figure out what's making that happen. Is there a uh, you know are there different kind of students who are coming in? Uh, is there a newer structure that could be thought out uh, and the, the objective there is not about skimming the surface and you know uh, and sort of giving out loans to just the uh, cream layer the objective is to go deeper at that institute and to actually be useful uh, and of course the number of our number of institutes and you know the the uh, um, the uh, engagement with our institute the uh, penetration from uh, let's say an institute has 100 counselors. We also measure how many counselors or how many agents are actually using our product. And that's another penetration level for us. So these are three, four key matrices, uh, uh, you know, off the top of my head from a product point of view. From an org point of view, obviously, because, you know, we are the, the, the whole idea of um, lending is about giving out money and being about, you know, uh, doing that profitably and having very low loss rates for us. The key matrices there are about uh, loan dispersals, is about assets under management, is about our NPA rates, and about our cost structures, our profitability, and so on. We've actually been profitable since the last couple of years. Awesome. Um, and so what's the plan uh, for the future? You've hit profitability. You've been um, running a ship, which I think in this new market is in better shape when access to capital has tried. Uh, what's your view on the future for you guys? So look, there are, uh, uh, you know, everything is not hunky-dory. Uh, there are, you know, major 
key challenges as well. Um, you know, one of the biggest challenges we have seen is, um, uh, you know, the the you can't sort of take education segment as one particular beast. It has smaller sub beasts and sub challenges in their particular products as well. Uh, you know, the way a uh, you know a schooling market, uh, a student going into a school, that the way that particular dynamic sort of works out is very different from somebody getting into a coaching the way somebody takes in you know the the quality of a guy uh, the credit quality of a person who is looking to send his son or a daughter to a je or an neet is very different from somebody who is sell, sending a son or daughter to a you know nda preparation or to a railways uh, uh, you know uh, preparation or a bank banking po sort of preparatory course uh, the way the entire higher education market operates is uh, different as well so uh we are still you know we have still figured out some of these segments some of these segments are in a scaled up mode some of these segments different segments are in, are in different journeys um as i said some of them we are in that scaling mode we have figured out everything that has to be most of the things that has to be figured to scale that business out we are confident about scaling our business there uh, in some of the segments we have figured out the nuances and we are in that process of looking to scale up in some of the segments we have had early green shoots and we are still trying to figure out the nuances uh it has to be built in a uh, uh, you know customized shoe for that particular segment we we have realized that uh that's one key uh, idea and the second idea is of course how to become a lot more relevant how to keep working on our product to make that a lot more inclusive can we do a lot more in education if we have sort of looked at lending lending is not the be all uh can we look at you know helping out students in a much better way uh you know there are a bunch of ideas that we have in the pipeline as well uh, uh, too early and too uh, too early to sort of discuss that here but uh, broadly how do we enable that entire education ecosystem um and that's that's what the objective is understand no awesome and thank you for walking us through the journey and what you are building our final question is why we call this podcast founders unfiltered Uh, what's one piece of unfiltered feedback you received in your career or as an entrepreneur um, that really changed the way you look at things one one piece of advice difficult question uh, avril i um, you know there are bunch of things that come in my head but if i have to sort of um, pick out one is um, i think um, i've had um, i've had this advice from a lot of good entrepreneurs uh, entrepreneurs who become friends and have seen that work out really well well as well um uh, you know practically um you know as an entrepreneur uh, uh, when there is a very uh, tricky sort of strategic decision to take where a lot of people might be for it where a lot of people might be against uh, any decision which could uh, and and this is a type of decision which could um, sort of take the path of a company uh in separate ways um there are uh, uh you know there are some uh, uh there is a lot of information which we can probably not uh you know as a as a human it's very difficult to sort of make sense of but it sort of contributes and our experiences as an entrepreneur which contribute towards uh what we call as our gut feel uh and you know at some places it's it's best to hear everybody from an open mind and that's that's something that definitely has to be done but when it comes to it uh, you know there is a certain weightage to the gut feeling of an entrepreneur which should ideally be taken uh, for a particular strategic uh, uh, direction of the company uh, and we have seen that work out uh, you know well 
um or you know as uh, ratan tata says uh, it's not about uh, you know one right decision or a bad decision it's about taking a decision and making it right uh, right that ends up happening so understand awesome uh, thank you so much for your time uh, victor uh, it was amazing speaking to you uh, hope our listeners will take away a lot from this conversation thank you overall uh, thank you mazan for having me uh, it was a real uh, pleasure to sort of speak with you guys Thank you.